Now, Connect FM Sports puts every play under review with Bob Anderson, Dave Glass, and Dave Herzing. Kyle Dubas and the Penguins front office were busy on the opening weekend of free agency, but did they make the right moves? We'll share our thoughts. The Pirates hold the first pick in Sunday's Major League Baseball draft. Two LSU Tigers stand out above the rest. But which is the better choice for the Bucks? We'll talk to Leah Van of The Advocate in Baton Rouge to find out more about Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens. Yesterday was Independence Day and we're feeling patriotic. We'll talk to a guy who retired from a career with the Penguins to become an author of several history books, including one about Flight 93. Tom McMillan will be our guest. I'm Bob Anderson. And I'm Dave Glass. Stay tuned as we discuss these topics and more as we go Under Review on Connect FM, your only local news radio. All right, Dave, after a week off, we're back, and uh, we're going to put all these things under review. But before we get into sports, how was your 4th of July? Oh, it was great. You know, I went down, saw it was part of the Osceola Parade, which, if you've never been there, is is amazing for a little town. It's kind of, it's kind of like Brockway that way. I know you're familiar with that. But little town, kind of out of the way, and they just really take their 4th of July seriously. So it's fun. Oh, great. I, I have to say the 4th of July is my favorite holiday. Uh, it's the summertime. Usually we get to play some roller hockey and and that's always fun. But the sad part is I feel like after the 4th, the summer just flies right by. It's like a snap of a finger and it's Labor Day and, and all the fall things are back. For me, that's the back. Clearfield Fair. When the Clearfield Fair is over, summer's over. We still got another month, Bob, so we yeah. got to enjoy July. All right. Well, speaking of bittersweet, I was thinking about the uh, Penguins' busy weekend here. And Cal Dubas hinted the team would be busy when he uh, talked prior to free agency because they had some cap space to spend. And he wasn't kidding. I counted 12 signings in total since Saturday and, of course, a trade for Riley Smith prior to that. So just to get our listeners caught up, uh, most of these were depth pieces, but a couple stood out. Uh, Tristan Jari was signed to a five-year deal worth about $5.3 million per season. Then they added a couple of goalies to go with them, Alex Nedeljkovic and Magnus Helberg. They added Ryan Graves as a left-shot defenseman at six years, $4.5 million annually. And then a lot of depth guys, including... Lars Eller, Noel Achari, Matt Nieto, et cetera. So let's unpack it, Dave. Um, what grade would you give Dubis for his work so far? This is tough because we've been saying since we started this show, literally from the first day we started this show, that the bottom six wasn't good enough and that we need to fix it. So he fixed it. So I got to give him high marks for that. But, and there's a big but with this, if you look at around the league and what some really, really quality players were taking in terms of shorter term, I have to give him a C overall because he committed to so much term here. And not just not just some like like the Riley Smith trade, I have no problem with that. I thought that was a savvy move. I like that one. But I, I think that was kind of his high water mark because you know, we sat here and whether you like Jari or you don't like Jari, giving that guy five years mm. at that price, it's like, okay, now you've committed to him. Is that really where you wanted that money to go? I didn't care for that. I didn't care for the term for Graves, even though I know they're going to put him with Latang, and that's fine. But it's not so much 
the contracts we signed that bothered me is when I looked around and I saw like Duchesne going to the stars on a one year, three million. I'm like, really? That's a great example. We can't find somebody like that. Or, or, and here's one that strikes close to home. Jason Zucker goes for one year, 5.3. All right. I understand the 5.3 might've been on a little higher side, but I'm, I'm of the school when it comes to contracts and any capped league, you can really not get yourself in trouble with a one-year contract. I don't really care what the value is. You get in trouble with the term. Jason Zucker at one year can't hurt you that bad. Exactly. And I like Tyler Bertuzzi. He was a one-year deal. Uh, Max Domi was a one-year deal. So I agree Blake with Blake Wheeler even to the to the yeah. Rangers. I mean, I know yeah. he's older, but man, yeah. that's helpful. To it's play. almost like he was a little too hasty there. He was too quick to the draw. But uh, the big one that stood out to me is Tristan Jari. I mean, that is a huge gamble. Five years. I, I feel like they were almost bidding against themselves there. Who was going to offer Tristan Jari that kind of term and money? Well, the thing is, and the only thing I'll say in their defense, he was, I think, pretty clearly and obviously the best goalie on the open market. Now, there's some available in trade, but if you're talking about signing a goalie, I think he had the combination of youth and pedigree that that he was probably he probably would have got four or five years from somebody else but okay if he does then find an, find another answer and frankly I, i'm surprised they didn't try to do a bridge deal prove it deal with him because the reason all these big stars were doing that by the way is because the cap has been flat it's flat again this year one million dollars but everybody on both sides is saying next year the floodgates are going to open and that cap is really going to go up the next two or three years so all these stars are like okay i'm going to bide my time take a short-term deal, and I'm going to cash in next year and the year after. I'm a little bit shocked Jari didn't bet on himself. I mean, look, I'm always on the player's side on these things. They should always – nobody should ever criticize a player for getting paid. I, I have no no problem with Jari taking the con- the contract. I have a problem with the team offering it to him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I do think the team is better this week than they were last week. Um, but as far as a grade goes, I'd probably give it maybe like a C-plus. Um, I didn't hear your grade. Did you give a grade? I gave it a C. Oh, okay. So we're in, the C- same, okay. we're in the same ballpark. All right. So um, there is one move, though, that I think the Penguins could make that would significantly raise my grade, and that would be, and there's rumor of this, to bring in Eric Carlson. And I knew you'd shake your head at me because I know you pretty well. But this is a 100-point defenseman, a guy who's won the Norris Trophy three times in his career, including last year. Um, the problem of course with him is his contract. I mean, he's, I think the fifth highest paid player in the league at 11 and a half million a year, but imagine a blue line with Chris Letang as one of your top pairings and Eric Carlson leading the other top pair, plus what he would do for the power play. So I say, do what you need to do to bring him on board. Well, I mean, I, I guess I, I don't know where to begin with this. I, <laughs> I guess, first of all, I'm a big believer in buy low, sell high. We would definitely be buying high on Carlson because 100 points, you're right. Number That's number one. Number two, yeah, he had 100 points. How good was that team? How much better did he make that team? They were horrible. They were absolutely horrible. And number three, even when he was in his prime, he was never considered a great defender. Now, he's more like Paul Coffey to me. I mean, he is at his best. He can really push the offensive game from the blue line. And that truly is a very rare thing. But do we need another one of those? Uh, at that price? Oh, man. And, and what do you give up for it? If you end up giving up Pedersen and a number one draft pick for it, I, I wouldn't do it. Well, he wants he wants out for one thing. And I don't think that you would have to pay the full 11 and a half. San Jose could retain some of that. They're talking about a third team getting involved and maybe retaining a little bit that way too. 
Um, but I do think that there's a way to do it. Good GMs find ways to, you know, to do, make these things happen. Look at Jim Rutherford, what he used to do to make things happen. Uh, but I just think of Carlson and Latang maybe eating up 85 to 90 percent of the of the minutes on the on the blue line. And the, to me, the power play is stale. He could really bring that power play alive. There's no question to me he would be a huge asset on the point. Uh, that that is, I don't think anybody can argue that. Um, I'm just bringing up his stats now. First of all, he's 33, so not. Well, he only has four chicken. years left. Yeah, I mean, he'll be 37. That's not terrible. Not terrible. Um, yeah, 101 points. Also minus 26. Now minus plus minus is overrated. It doesn't tell you everything that people used to think it is did, but. He's been a minus player five out of the last six years. Before this 101 points, he'd had 45, 40, 22, and 35 points. Uh, he was, I he was having a lot of injury problems, too. <laughs> I, I, I think he would just bring, bring the city to life. You know, the, the game has gotten a little stale in Pittsburgh. It would be so much fun to watch those two together. And here's the other thing that I have to point out. I mean, defense, shooting percentages are usually below 10%, and for defensemen, they're way below 10%. His career percentage was, uh, well, it was around 6.5. He shot 12% last year, and he never even got to double digits before. So he's not going to score 25 goals again. It's just not going to happen. Oh, I, I, I hear you. But uh, let me ask you this. Who is the last defenseman to score 100 points? Here's oh, a little, man. This is really putting you on the spot. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It was, the, I believe, the 91-92 season. It wasn't Leach, was it? It was Brian Leach. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. All right. Got to go back to... To the early 90s for I didn't that. cheat on that feature, that was, folks. That I, wasn't, was, I didn't yeah, look it I up. Yeah, I definitely put him on the spot. <laughs> All right, so when we return, we'll be switching sports to talk a little baseball. The Dylan Cruz versus Paul Skeens debate is a lively one. Who is the better prospect for the Pirates? We'll talk to a woman who covered them both this season during their championship run at LSU. Stay tuned as we continue under review on Connect FM, your only local news radio. Here we go again. The same old story. You ordered the part online. It's wrong when it arrives. The car is torn apart and then the fun begins. Trying to send it back. In the meantime, your wife is missing her hair appointment. The kids need to, you know the rest of the story. And you think you saved money. At Napa, we'll get it right the first time. Napa know-how is on your side with expert customer service and parts that meet or exceed manufacturer standards. Napa, better here to serve you, our customers. Napa Auto Parts, Dubois, Brockway, Brookville, and Climber. Have you outgrown your health insurance plan or just not happy with what you're paying for? The number one reason we all change our health insurance is price. Are you paying too much for your health insurance? Would you like to have better coverage at a better rate or at little or no cost to you? Your life needs are always changing, but have you done anything to improve your health insurance for you and your family? Health insurance laws and coverage are always changing and getting better. It's impossible to do all the research yourself. But now it's all done for you for free. So regardless of your age or medical condition, take a few minutes right now and find out if you can save money or even qualify for zero-cost health insurance in your state. Call now. Paid for by Cheaper Health Insurance. 800-972-9608. 800-972-9608. 800-972-9608. That's 800-972-9608. 
Smith Timbering and Consultants are experts at tree management and are looking for an energetic, reliable individual to join their team. They currently have an excellent opportunity for a full-time forestry technician to buy Mark and Cruz standing timber. They offer competitive pay with bonus incentives, health incentives, health insurance, and company vehicle. Associate's degree or higher in forestry required. Please email your resume or questions to Wes at smithtimbering.com. That's Wes at smithtimbering.com. Now, let's go back to Under Review on Connect FM. Here again, Bob Anderson, Dave Glass, and Dave Herzing. Welcome back to Under Review. I'm Bob Anderson, and he is Dave Glass. The Pirates won Major League Baseball's first ever draft lottery back in December. They have the top spot in this Sunday's draft. It's only the second time in the last three years they've had that opportunity, but it is an enviable spot, especially this year, because a pair of LSU Tigers caught the attention of the baseball world during that championship run. Here to help us learn about them is Leah Van, who covered the team for the Advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Leah, thanks for coming in. How are you? And happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. For our listeners who didn't watch the College World Series, just how good are Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, and are they deserving to be the first two picks in this year's draft? Yeah, so for those who are not familiar with college baseball, um, Dylan Cruz, we'll start with him, was LSU center fielder. Um, He's been an outfielder for the Tigers for three years. He's one of those guys who was a product of the 2020 shortened MLB draft and what should have been a top you know, draft pick back then in the first round, but fell to the second round after some struggles through summer ball. Um, so he decided to bet on himself and become one of the high, most highly rated players to play college baseball, and it certainly paid off for him. I mean, if you think about the last two years, he has reached base through 75 straight games. That means he did not, not reach base hmm. at all this season because the college baseball season – capped out at about like 66 games um, or nope, it's 70, 70 games. And then it was four, five games from last year, something like that. Um, he batted well over 400 this year. I think he ended his career and I'm at 426 batting average this season. He had 14 home runs. Oh, excuse me. That was not um, wrong number. I'm so sorry. I'm scrolling 18 home runs. Um, that sounds about right. And uh, sorry, I'm just, Scrolling through here. Yes, um, I had 70 anyway, RBIs, he's a, I think. He's, a, he's been a key and reliable hitter for the Tigers for three years. He's been the best player. He's a fast center fielder. He made a couple of really crucial crucial catches in the championship series against Florida. So that's what you need to know about Dylan Cruz is he's got great plate discipline. He was second in the nation in on-base percentage, um, You know, first in the nation in batting average. Then you move over to Paul Skeens, who was kind of an interesting story. started out as an Air Force pitcher and catcher actually he was a two-way player big guy six foot six obviously too tall to fly jet um so you know he realized that and also um you know he had a fastball that touches the triple digits which will catch anybody's attention but when you're playing in colorado and high elevation and you know in the mountain west conference which isn't really well known for baseball um you know, you kind of need to get more eyes on you and some better training because he was still putting up with the Air Force training. And, you know, you can't get a lot of spin on a ball when you're a pitcher at high elevation, which 
you know, I think everybody's familiar with, if you look at the Rockies and why it's easier to hit home runs there and, you know, why pitchers have a harder time pitching there and finding consistency. So came down to LSU to to basically for pitching coach Wes Johnson, who had come from the Minnesota Twins, trained with him and completely altered his slider, which went from a gyro slider to a sweeping slider, which is a lower arm slot, um, kind of a different, you know, a completely different look. Found a lot more consistency in that and his changeup. They eliminated him as a catcher, so that he just focused on pitching, no hitting, even though he's a great hitter. Um, and because he was able to kind of eliminate that military training and to not train as a hitter and to focus on pitching, he really elevated his draft stock. He performed very well. He broke the SEC and LSU all-time strikeout record with 209 strikeouts this season, um, which was held since 1989 by Ben McDonald, who formerly pitched for the Baltimore Orioles. So he's been kind of the greatest college pitcher to come through since Steven Strasburg. Um, a lot of people have said uh, he has the best slider in college baseball and the best fastball. Um, he pounds the strike zone. And a lot of people have said that his average velocity is actually matching a lot of average velocities of most major league baseball players right now. So it wouldn't be completely shocking that he could make an immediate impact in whatever team that he goes up to. Yeah, do you see either of them being ready for next year? I think so. I think both are capable. Um, I think Paul Skeens is a little bit more likely um, just because I think I think he's kind of proven what he can do in the sense of, like, he was basically unhittable to college hitters. And... Um, and, you know, the strikeouts were few. I mean, the walks were few. The strikeouts were plenty. Um, he's got the stuff of a pitcher in the major leagues. I mean, shoot, he's even taught some major league guys some new grips and stuff like that. Um, so, And he's got the body for it. You know, he's just built for it. And so, which Dylan Cruz, I think, is also equally, almost equally as capable. But I think with a hitter, it's you know, it's still a little bit of a learning curve when you're um, obviously facing some tougher pitchers out there. And obviously Dylan has faced Paul. He's faced Rhett Louder, who's also a projected first-round draft pick out of Wake Forest. But I think you have a little bit more to prove as a hitter. It's not like you have stuff you can refer to like a pitcher has. One of the things that you may have insight on that we up here don't get to see is is how they are off the field. I mean, we, we see the stats, we see the scouting projections, and that stuff's awesome. But you know, you've you've dealt, you've talked to them, you've dealt with them. Um, do, do, are they going to be as good off the field as they are on, or have they run into any trouble down there at LSU? <laughs> Well, they're both fantastic human beings, and um, I'll start with Paul Skeens. He's probably one of the most intelligent players I've ever interviewed. Um, He's very thorough, very analytical. He's very into kind of the sports science side of pitching. I've even talked to other reporters at national outlets who have said, yeah, I've never talked to a pitcher who has spoken to me like that. Um, He's very respectful, and maybe that comes from the military background, right? And so he like the beginning of the season, he really took us through the mechanics of his pitching and how it had changed. And then I think as more and more people interviewed him, he got a little bit shorter with his words. But um, he's very interesting, very sweet. He also like donated a lot of his NIL money to Folds of Honor, which is an organization that um, gives scholarship money to kids or their families who have been impacted by, who have veterans who have been you know injured or have lost their lives in line of duty. 
Um, so he's still like, it was really hard for him to leave the Air Force Academy because that was something he dreamt of doing his entire life. And he had deep friendships and connections there. And a lot of, a lot of people will say that like, he really kind of became who he was there. So the way he goes about his business and the way he is as an example to others has kind of been, um, he's been a huge locker room presence. Dylan Cruz is a soft-spoken leader. He's a hard worker. He's been a hard worker his entire life since high school. I mean, but he still played for his high school team while also playing for a travel ball team at the same time and training with a private trainer to the point where he only went to school to like 1130 every day, did online classes. So he's got the work ethic and he's been a leader on this team for three years. Uh, Leo, who would you take if you're Ben Sherrington and you know these players pretty well? Is there one that you would lean towards over the other? Yeah, I I don't know because I really like, I mean, I think it depends on what you need more and what's more pressing. And I think that Paul has pitched a lot already this year, so he probably needs to be shut down. Um, So, you know, maybe Dylan Cruz, you can get him into the system a little bit earlier and get him hitting, get him, you know, kind of, you kind of build him a little bit earlier as you would with Paul Skeens. At Paul Skeens, you probably need to like kind of ease him into it. So maybe Dylan from that standpoint. And I know there's some sort of strange rumor going around that Dylan doesn't want to be a private. That is not true. He's more than willing to go to any team that, you know, takes him for the appropriate amount of money. So that is not true. And I know it's been on, been published in multiple places. And I, so I wanted to say that, but you know, I think either one sets you up for greatness down the road. We, uh, we're almost out of time here, but tell us a little bit about uh, how did your journey to, to be covering LSU and where people can find your work. Well, I'm on Twitter at LVan underscore sports. My journey is way too long to be shortened <laughs> into the end of a radio segment, to be honest. But I'm from Texas originally. I took this roundabout way of becoming a sports writer. I thought I was going to go to med school and majored in biology and decided to go cover small town sports in North Iowa as my first job, moved to Colorado, went to grad school at Northwestern in Chicago, moved to Iowa again to cover the Iowa Hawkeyes. And then all of a sudden I ended up covering LSU football and LSU baseball. So that's kind of my roundabout way of becoming a sports journalist. And uh, I think everybody kind of has a different path. Well, I hope you get a little time off before the football season starts, Leah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I won't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for taking the time. That's Leah Van, and uh, we'll be back on Under Review after these messages. Smith Timbering and Consultants are experts at tree management and are looking for an energetic, reliable individual to join their team. They currently have an excellent opportunity for a full-time forestry technician to buy Mark and Cruz standing timber. They offer competitive pay with bonus incentives, health incentives, health insurance, and company vehicle. Associate's degree or higher in forestry required. Please email your resume or questions to Wes at smithtimbering.com. That's Wes at smithtimbering.com. Carlson Auto Repair is a locally family-owned and operated business that serves you, their customer, like you're one of the family. Carlson Auto Repair genuinely cares about the folks who come to see them for mechanical and auto body work. They don't do anything that isn't needed, and they do the repairs at an affordable rate. If you need auto repair inspections or collision work, get it done right and reasonably at Carlson Auto Repair, where they know you and they know your vehicle. 100 East Park Avenue, Dubois. 
Here we go again. The same old story. You ordered the part online. It's wrong when it arrives. The car is torn apart and then the fun begins. Trying to send it back. In the meantime, your wife is missing her hair appointment. The kids need to, you know the rest of the story. And you think you save money. At Napa, we'll get it right the first time. Napa Know How is on your side with expert customer service and parts that meet or exceed manufacturer standards. Napa, better here to serve you, our customers. Napa Auto Parts, Dubois, Brockway, Brookville, and Climber. Here's your Connect FM Tri-County forecast. Lows of aloft around 65. Tonight, under partly cloudy skies, southeasterly winds around 5 miles per hour. Cloudy skies with a few peaks of sun. Tomorrow, chance for isolated thunderstorms. High temperatures reach up to 88. Chance for isolated storms. Tomorrow night, lows dip down to about 66. Cloudy skies. That's your Tri-County forecast throughout the hour, throughout your busy day on Connect FM. Currently, it's 86. Now, let's go back to Under Review on Connect FM. Here again, Bob Anderson, Dave Glass, and Dave Herzing. Welcome back to Under Review. The Pirates will take center stage on Sunday with the top pick in that Major League Baseball draft. And Dave, we had a chance to talk to Leah. I don't know if that helped you uh, sort out these two Tigers. Um, do you have any conclusion? Who do you think would be the better option for the Pirates? Well, I had some thoughts even before uh, Leah spoke, but but she said something that I thought really kind of drives the point home, and she compared Skeens to Strasburg. And I think that's that's perfect because, yeah, you know what? Strasburg was in college just amazing, and I remember all the hype around him. And you know what? When he came out— after a couple of, of years, he was he was kind of the real deal there for a while, but he constantly had injury problems. He's only thrown 200 innings twice, twice in his whole career, and he's been around now for 13 years. And he, in the last three years, he has a grand total of less than 35 innings, and they're saying his career is over, probably. And that's a big risk with taking the pitcher, but nobody impacts the Major League Baseball game more than a, uh, an ace pitcher. And the Pirates yes don't really no. have one. Yes. I mean, Mitch Keller, maybe. You know, and, and I think my answer would have been, definitely would have been different 10 years ago and certainly 20 years ago. When when pitchers threw constant, you know, your best pitchers could be counted on for 35 games and 240 innings, and, and you knew you were going to get that huge chunk of innings from that one guy. Yeah, they made a huge difference. Now, and, and, and plus the fact they throw so hard. How many guys throw this hard and don't eventually shred their elbow? I, the list is extremely small. Even Nolan Ryan shredded his elbow. So to me, you know if you draft him, you're going to lose him for a year and a half at some point for the surgery, probably. It's just a matter of when. Now, I like the fact that he's a converted catcher. He doesn't have that many innings on him. This, this year he had a fair number, but... In his career, I looked up his stats. He he didn't pitch that much at Air Force. Yeah, I think he was more of a reliever. Yeah, so th- that makes his arm fresher because one thing I worry about with college pitchers is there's no pitch count limits, and, and some of those managers really abuse those arms. And, and I feel like he was really worked hard over that this championship year. run. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do think she's right that it, it, the – if we were, if the Pirates drafted him and they were in the hunt, maybe you'd call him up. But because of the situation, you're almost certainly going to shut him down. I, that doesn't play into my thinking. My thinking is, what's the best long-term bet? And to me, because you can't trade draft picks, you have to hit this pick, right? You can't trade down and get a whole raft of picks, which I wish, if base, baseball, if you're listening, that would make the draft a whole lot more exciting, by the way, because you, you don't think the Pirates would be getting some great offers to, for, for Skeens or Cruz at this point? That would be amazing. But... 
You have to hit this pick. You can't afford to miss. The hitter is the safer bet. I would, in this position, I would always, and I do mean always, take the hitter. Hmm. Because, and, and let's look at the other side of it. Uh, when's the last time the Pirates drafted and developed a truly great hitter? McCutcheon, really. Cruz could be that guy. You know, Davis could be, you know, the jury's still out. But and really, before that, it's back to Bonds. They haven't got, and, and even McCutcheon was more of a five-tool player than that big bopper. They need that. 280, 40 home run guy, and they haven't had it. And this is this could really fill a hole for them for the next 10 years. Oh, it'd be great to see a top of the lineup with Cruz and Cruz, Ooh. you know, batting in the first three or four. And, and Davis right there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brian Reynolds, and that, that would probably make those players better too. Oh, definitely. You have the protection around them. Definitely. But then I think to myself, boy, that one-two punch of Keller and Skeens, and I think Skeens, they, they're talking, I mean, Cruz too, they, they could both be ready next season. I mean, and right when the Pirates are hopefully ready to be a contender. I would, you know, if it wasn't for pitch count and, and, and arm wear issues, I'd say bring them both up this year. I mean, if they draft Cruz, he should be playing in the majors by September because you're playing in the SEC. Most most scouts will tell you that's equivalent to double A roughly. What are you waiting for? It's not like he's an 18-year-old just out of high school. He's 21 years old. He might even be 22 now. I don't know. I don't, didn't check his birthday. But you don't want to waste that, that development time. That, that When they're young, the, the real great ones, they get it early. Well, and I liked what she said there. She kind of dis, you know, took the rumor away about Cruz not wanting to sign with the Pirates, and there had been a lot of talk of that. And I don't know if that's his agent throwing that out there to try to get, uh, supposedly, get him to the Nationals at number two. I don't know, but um, you know, the Pirates have the the largest bonus pool money. They'd probably have to offer him a, a pretty big contract. They'd have to go to slot value. But he is certainly worth it when you look at this. This is not the year to do what they did with Henry Davis, and they, they went under slot to, to build later. I want them to take one of these two guys. To me, there is no wrong answer as long as you take one of these two guys. And I agree. And, boy, I'm glad you brought up that whole slot discussion because – and this is how Major League Baseball, you know, they tend to mess things up a little bit. And these slots – have, have, they make for really weird drafts where like, and, and Davis is going to be a good hitter. It looks like, but he might be a DH cause it doesn't look like he can play catcher or they're not going to let him. So you end up taking this guy above slot, quote unquote, he'll sign for less money. And then you take that money and spend it down the line in baseball. That's actually a pretty smart move most of the time because so many draft picks miss in baseball. It's, it's anything but uh, an exact science. Um, but you are 100% right. With this kind of talent at the top of the draft, if they go the cheap route and take the number 7-8 prospect just to save money down the line, I, I think all the fans will be supremely disappointed. Well, just to put a bow on this segment, uh, Skeens, though, could be the next Otani. Perhaps he could he could hit and pitch. Well, I mean, the you know, chances there's going to be a lot unlikely. of that talk with as well, as good as Otani's done. But I think Otani is the exception that proves the rule. There's a reason that nobody does this anymore since Babe Ruth. It's hard, and some people have tried it. If he if he made it as a pitcher, that would be more than enough for me. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and just as far as his pitching goes, one thing that maybe he has going for him is his size. 
Maybe that'll help save his arm a little bit. He's six foot six. He's a big dude, uh, but he does throw well over 100 miles per hour. I think he added five miles per hour to his fastball this year at LSU. So whatever their pitching coach is doing down there, maybe the Pirates need to <laughs> adopt that. Um, and then he has that good slider, as she talked about. So I am intrigued with either of these two guys. Like I said, I feel like you just can't go wrong here. Well, and, and we don't talk about it because we talk about the talk of the draft, but that second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, they're going to make or break your your draft as well you need to draft depth too because like i said you're, you're going to miss sometimes so you got to be able to have that stockpile of players all right well we're going to venture a little bit from the sports world in our next segment as we talk to an author and historian named tom mcmillan he used to work in sports media and for the penguins in a communications role and i i know dave you're you're a history buff like me i'm very excited to talk to him so we hope yes. that you'll stay with us as we continue under review on connect fm here we go again. The same old story. You ordered the part online. It's wrong when it arrives. The car is torn apart and then the fun begins. Trying to send it back. In the meantime, your wife is missing her hair appointment. The kids need to, you know the rest of the story. And you think you save money. At Napa, we'll get it right the first time. Napa know-how is on your side with expert customer service and parts that meet or exceed manufacturer standards. Napa, better here to serve you, our customers. Napa Auto Parts, Dubois, Brockway, Brookville, and Clymer. Keeping your eye on the ball is the key to playing sports well. Let Wise Eyes coach you into sturdy shatter and contact-resistant eyewear. Whether your child plays sports... You love extreme sports or you work in hazardous construction zones. You need sharp vision while protecting your eyes. Dr. Lineski is a leader in clinical eye care and takes the time to explain your eye test results. Proud to support local sports programs, Wise Eyes has served our community for over 20 years. Commons Drive to Boys and at MyWiseEyes.com. I'm Dan Kennard. Welcome to this week's local youth sports speed on Connect FM, sponsored by Dr. Greg Lineski and Wise Eyes at the Dubois Commons. It's time to get you caught up to date on the District 10 Little League All-Star Baseball and Softball Tournaments. We begin with the Majors Baseball Tournament, where on Friday, last Friday, Dubois defeated St. Mary's by a 5-1 to score. And then on Sunday, it was St. Mary's battling back out of the uh, loser's bracket with a 3-0 win over Brookville. That sets up the following games tomorrow, Thursday, July the 6th. Dubois will be facing Punxsutawney in the winter bracket and it's going to be a six o'clock game tomorrow evening that game will be broadcast right here on connect fm in the losers bracket saint mary's will be taking on potter mckean in the district 10 little league all-star seniors baseball tournament dubois claimed the district 10 championship with a win of 24 to nothing in four innings over cameron county last week sectional tournament play begins for dubois today in the District 10 Little League All-Star 8-10-year-old softball tournament, unbeaten Dubois will be playing St. Mary's today. In the major softball division, Punxsutawney scored a narrow 3-2 win over Dubois to claim the championship. And in the junior softball division, Dubois won the District 10 championship with a 10-0 win over Punxsutawney. That was last week. That wraps up this week's local youth sports beat on Connect FM. It is sponsored by Wise Eyes at the Dubois Commons and Dr. Greg Lineski. Here's your Connect FM Tri County forecast. 
Lows level off around 65. Tonight, under partly cloudy skies, southeasterly winds around 5 miles per hour. Cloudy skies with a few peaks of sun. Tomorrow, chance for isolated thunderstorms. High temperatures reach up to 88. Chance for isolated storms. Tomorrow night, lows dip down to about 66. Cloudy skies. That's your Tri-County forecast throughout the hour, throughout your busy day on Connect FM. Currently, it's 86. What's your call? This is Under Review on Connect FM. You can call Bob, Dave, and Dave at 814-372-1420. Join the chat on their Facebook page by searching Under Review Sports. Welcome back to Under Review. I'm Bob Anderson. He is Dave Glass. Sports and history are two of our passions, um, and that's why I was so excited when I reached out to our next guest, and he was gracious enough to agree to join us. So without further ado, let's welcome author, historian, and longtime sports guy Tom McMillan to the show. Tom, how are you? Great, guys. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. Have you recovered from your trip to Gettysburg? I know that's something you really enjoy. (laughs) It always takes a while to recover, but yes, yes, we we uh, we stopped at Antietam on the way home, so that helped uh, that helped ease us ease us home. Well, that's a great way to st- um, plan a trip. So I'm I'm going to start off with one that I know you get all the time, but to our listeners who aren't as familiar with your past, can you tell us a little bit about how you went from you know covering sports and working in the sports world to becoming this uh, historian slash author? Yeah, well, I had a I've re- relatively recently retired from a. 43-year career in sports media and communications. I was a, I was in the media for 18 years, mostly as a sports writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And then the last 25 years of my career, I was VP of communications for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So 18 and 25, 43, it was, it was, it was a long run. It was a great run, but uh, when, when you hit the end, you hit the end. And I'm, I'm enjoying retirement. But history all along was was another of my passions. I mean, I was one of the uh, coming out of high school. I was either going to be a newspaper sports writer or a history teacher. So, I I went for the sports writing and media and, and sports angle. But history was always there. In fact, what I tell people, and I think you guys will appreciate this, because because fans often don't understand what we do. They think you're super fans in your job, and they forget it's really jobs and work. Um, for what I tell people is, mo- for most people, sports is their escape from their job. It's their escape from the regular life. When you work in sports, you actually need an escape from it. I didn't come home every day just watch games after working in sports all day. So history was always my escape. History was was my version of sports. So it was always there. But about 10 years ago, I decided to take a a crack at at writing some books, and now I've had four of them out. Wow, that's amazing. Before we go into the the books and the history, I want to take you back a little bit to your Penguins days, and I I was reading a great article that uh, they wrote about you at, during your at the time of your retirement, and one of the things I, I read in there that I didn't realize is you were one of the first people who knew that Mario was going to attempt the comeback, but then he of course swore you to silence. And my <laughs> question is, how hard was that for you not to tell anybody that you oh, knew that? It was it was it was it was really difficult because you're so excited. I remember we we heard that, and we probably knew. I remember now nine or ten days before the announcement came out, and to keep quiet that long. I remember when I heard it, and I walked back into my office and closed the door. It's like everything just changed. Every plan we worked on to that point all year just changed in that moment. 
and we couldn't share it with anybody. And you knew it was going to be phenomenal. You knew it was going to be exciting, but it was really tough to keep it inside. And one of the reasons it had to be kept quiet was there was never a, 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 an owner who would come back to play before. They had to make sure that the bylaws were okay. They, they, were obvi- they obviously would have worked it out, but there were, there were a lot of um, technical things they had to work out of it, an owner playing for a team. Was he belong to the Players Association? Did go to the owners' meeting? So it was, there were reasons why it had to be kept quiet uh, for a while, but it was, uh, it, <laughs> it was very difficult, and it was a relief when the, when the news finally broke. Well, and, and, and uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned all those things because that was one of my first thoughts back then was, well, is he still a, is he a, in the union now? How is that going to work yeah. with the contract? Yeah. And I know they, they, everybody finessed that really well. It was great. But then I guess my next question to you is, look, he, he was the man. Everybody knew that. But he'd also been retired for three years. I, th- I personally thought, okay, he's going to come back and he's going to be pretty good. I never expected him to come back and put the numbers up he did. Did that surprise yeah. you or is that just who well, he was to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew he would be great only in the sense that Mario has so much pride. And people would ask me that during the time that they made the announcement. It was about three weeks before he played a game um, after it became public. And I said, Mario's got so much pride. He's not coming back if he doesn't think he can be great. But he obviously tested himself on the ice for a few weeks there, skating with Jay Caulfield. So I was convinced that he wasn't going to come back to be average. If he thought he was be average, he wouldn't have done it. He would call it off. So I, I was convinced that I don't think anybody could imagine what he did. That half year that he had, just had year, or had that, that year gets way overshadowed because it's only a half year of stats, but it is one of the greatest, not only hockey stretches, but athlete stretches of all time. He hadn't played for two and a half years. He didn't have training camp. He came back in midseason when everyone else is in top game shape, and he scored 35 goals in 43 games. It was truly amazing. It was, it was absolutely amazing, actually. One of my favorite Penguins memories. But that leads me to my last question for now, and then I'm going to give it back to Bob. You had a long career both covering the team and then switching over and, and, and working for the team. And I know this is tough. And besides the cups, which are obvious, and, and maybe this moment we just talked about, is there another moment that sticks out to you as, wow, I can't believe I was there to see that? You know, I am so fortunate that it's, it's tough to rank them. Uh, I experienced so many things. And, and you always hear this from people. I'll appreciate it when I retire. I think I appreciate all those things more because you're just going on to the next day. Even when Mario's announcing his comeback, well, there's a game the next day. There's a road trip. So you have to, you have to uh, keep, keep going. The other one that really was ridiculous <laughs> was winning the Sidney Crosby lottery. Oh, yeah. yeah. When, you, when you think of those types of things, uh, there were so many Mario moments, moments. There were so many cup moments. Uh, seeing Mario and Yager play together, yeah, it's just it was just uh, phenomenal. And as someone who grew up in Pittsburgh, when the Penguins were laughed at, were terrible. You couldn't imagine them making the playoffs, much less winning. I remember that night in Minnesota when you realized in the third period they were going to win the Stanley Cup. And now they've been such Penguins been such a great franchise for so long. Young people don't even know that time existed, but people laughed at the Penguins. Oh, 100%. They were and we talk and about remember, this. I'm sorry, go I, ahead. I remember Ron Cook of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, my longtime friend, looking down at me because he also grew up in Pittsburgh, in Beaver County. And it was in the third period of that game in Minnesota in 91. He looked at me with this incredulous look on his face and he said, 
the Penguins are going to win the Stanley Cup. It was just like we couldn't believe it. We always laugh and talk about that moment. It seems so silly now because the team's been so great. But that first one, it was like you know the Steelers winning for the first one. The Steelers were, were laughed at, too, during my childhood. It's it's hard to fathom that now, but those are those were those were all special moments. But you know the the the, the Mario comeback game and the Sid lottery those are those are tough to top. No, I hear you. And 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 one thing we I was going to say we talk a, a lot here about how spoiled Penn, Penn's fans are. Oh. You know, forty years we've had sixty six and sixty eight, and then eighty seven and seventy one, and all these defensemen, yeah. these cups. I mean, these kids. I, mean, I hate to sound like an old guy, but these kids today don't understand what you what you went no, through no, and what no, I went no. through, even as a younger kid. <laughs> and and, and we, we all were spoiled. Like, look, I can't even pick a highlight. How spoiled is that? I'm so spoiled to have been with this franchise, and that's why when people are complaining about the last couple of years and complaining about this. It, it, you know what? You can't win every year. That's the idea of sports. It's special. It's hard to win. It's special to win. We have had such an incredible run here, um, and that doesn't mean it can't continue. But you're all you're always going to have some some down years. The, the Steelers, one of the great organizations of all time, went 25 years between Super Bowls. It is really hard to win, and and you realize looking back when you win. I, I was with you know covered two and was listening for three, five Stanley Cup champions. I can look back each of those playoffs. There was a moment when if you had lost one game, that one game, you don't win the Stanley Cup. You come so close to losing even when you win. Well, I'm going to mute uh, Dave's mic over here because he is uh, not allowing me to get to the history portion <laughs> of the interview here. But we're talking to Tom McMillan, an author, historian, and longtime uh, Penguins man. Um, Tom, I know you got a lot of books, but I want to start with the Flight 93 one here. Uh, I'm an eighth grade history student, and we're fortunate, or teacher, and we're fortunate enough to take uh, students down to the memorial every year, thanks to the friends of Flight 93. And I do feel like that flight sometimes gets overlooked when you look at the whole yep. story of 9-11. So give our listeners a, a little insight into your book. Uh, what inspired you to write that, and, and why should they maybe not only read your book, but visit the memorial? Yeah, and by the way, that book—if anybody buys it—I don't—I uh, make no money on that. I, I donate all my author's proceeds to the Friends of Flight 93, so I didn't—I didn't want to even try to make any money off that. That was such an emotional experience, uh, and obviously, you know, it happened close to, relatively close to all of our homes. You know, that, that yes. it was personal to me from the beginning because it was—it was, it was in Western Pennsylvania. But so you guys will there's a little bit of a, a laugh about this. That book happened because of the Penguins. Um, because of a Penguins connection, the, on, after the 10 year, 10th year anniversary, the families of Flight 93 wrote a letter to the Penguins, a generic letter, and they wanted to take care of the coroner of Somerset County, who had treated them so well over those 10 years. His name was Wally Miller. And they knew, they found that he was a Penguin season ticket holder, and they wanted to see if they could honor him at a game. And the letter popped on my desk by, by quirk of fate. So I was interested, and, and we arranged that. And Wally came down, and I met some family members and some people from the park from the park service and one thing led to another that led to the book if that letter hadn't come and we hadn't done that i wouldn't have had the connection to go do it but what inspired it once that happened was it it is despite the fact that it's it's such a patriotic moment it is the forgotten flight uh you hear everybody points to the twin towers and the pentagon because there's video of those flights there's no video of what happened in somerset county because it wasn't supposed to crash there that wasn't the target uh, and, and so it is overshadowed. And I just thought, you know, after I, I started 
work on that 2012. So it was 11 years after. There had only been one book ever written, and it was in the first year. So I said, this story really needs to be told. There hasn't been one since. So um, I don't know if that's because they did a good job or just nobody else is interested. But but I, I think it's a, it's a story we have to keep telling, and we now have to, as you guys know, and teachers, um, we have to pass it to the younger generation because they don't remember it as we Anybody who's alive will never forget that day. But now we've had, what's it's been, it's more than 20 years. We've had a whole generation that grew up that does not remember it the way we did. They know it was important. They know it was shocking, but they'll never have that feeling. So we need to somehow transmit what that day was like and how important it was and how important it continues to be to, to learn that story. Yeah, to us, I mean, that was current events. To students, that's yeah. just history. They miss the emotional aspect of that. Um <clears throat> Tom, um, have you had a chance to meet with any of the family members who? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. oh yeah, oh yeah. That, that was all part of it. Yeah, I talked to. You know, it was really chilling to talk to some of the ladies who got calls from the plane, and they're recounting those calls from the plane. Yes, I, I interviewed a number of family members, and they had done a lot of oral histories out there, and also FBI agents and people who were, you know, firemen who worked out there. I, I tried to do the whole story. You know, it's one of those things where that book, the crash, is in the middle of the book. Uh, there's so much to the story after the crash and how the people out in Somerset County reacted and, uh, and, and, and how they greeted the families and, and how the memorial got built. So it was an inspiring story all the way through. And I still get, I used to volunteer out there. I, I've moved on to volunteer in some other places now, but uh, I still get chills when I, when I stand out there and, and look and, and think what happened and think what those folks did. You know, to condense it down, the, the hijackers had planned for, for years to that. And those folks who got on the plane that morning, they had less than 30 minutes to figure it out. How they did what they did, I'll never know. They didn't, they didn't succeed in saving the plane, uh, but, but the hijackers didn't reach their, didn't reach their targets. So uh, they were heroes for reacting, reacting the way they did in, in unbelievable circumstances. Well, the one thing I have to say, I, I, I read the book a couple years ago, and I, I'm, I'm pretty demanding when it comes to books. If I can't stay interested, I just move on. I could not put your book down. It's one of those things I read until two, three in the morning for a couple nights in a row. And I think that you nailed it. I really believe it hasn't been, there hasn't been another book because you, I can't think of much you missed. I mean, it's a very, very thorough, it's engaging. Well, I mean, it, it gets you emotionally involved and, and yeah. that's a credit to you. And I just had to say that on the air. It's not even a question. <laughs> but <laughs> before we move to move on a little bit, what 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 did you decide to write about after that? Well, it was I've always been a Civil War nerd. I've been going to Gettysburg most of my adult life, and once I learned how to write a book on history, which I mean, I I was really feeling my way to do Flight ninety three. That just happened by happenstance. I said, now I figured out how to do this. Uh, what else can I do? And I'd always been such a such a student of the Battle of Gettysburg, and there's been so much written, but I found a couple of angles. I did I did two books related to the Battle of Gettysburg, and uh, and then I recently, just last month, came out with a book on the original Star Spangled Banner from Fort McHenry and the family that saved that and why it's still at the Smithsonian. So there's a there's a weave of history through all of it. The difference of Flight 93, and I say this when I talk about this, is uh, I didn't realize this when I started it. Um, there's a difference in writing contemporary history. Because people, people watch the media. They remember what happened. They, they look at it differently. When you're writing about the Battle of Gettysburg or the Star-Spangled Banner, that was 150, 200 years ago. Nobody was alive who remembers it. So you're doing a lot of just research and documents and letters and books and things like that. 
uh, Flight 93, you're interviewing people. So those were they were completely different experiences. I really loved the research of the last three books, digging in, finding things out, learning. You couldn't do it if you weren't a history buff because part of the fun, part of the motivation is learning yourself. You start on these topics and you don't know the answers. That's why you're writing the book. And that's part of the fun. So I think people who do this and love it, it's because they're curious and they're, they're trying to trying to learn themselves, and then you you try to pass that on to your readers, what you've learned. So your book that you just mentioned here, uh, it's called Our Flag Was Still There, and I'm a history teacher. I teach about the War of 1812, and one of the things that we actually get into is Francis Scott Key writing the Star-Spangled Banner, and and that's what your book is about. So um, tell our listeners a little bit about how did that moment come about, And, and I heard you say that it wasn't a poem, and I actually thought it was for all these years. Yeah. Yeah, two things. I, my, my, I wanted the focus of the book to be the flag itself, because the fact that the flag that the anthem is about still exists 209 years later is, is, is phenomenal. It's almost a miracle. You can go visit it for free every day at the Smithsonian. So I really wanted to focus on how that happened. But yes, but obviously it's named the Star Spangled Banner because of the song. So you, you, you have to dig into that. Absolutely. He was out on the water. Uh, he had been trying to negotiate the release of an, elder, of an elderly physician who'd been taken prisoner by the British. He was up there by happenstance, in, in just as the battle's about to start. So he's right behind the British ships, and he watches uh, a 25-hour bombardment of that, of that fort. And, and in the morning mist, they, they're wondering which flag they're going to see. Is it British or American? They see the American flag. He starts to take some notes. And two days later, he writes a song that 117 years later became the national anthem. It took a long time to get official status. But the point I try to draw, and this is, I'm surprised that most people don't know this, but it's because despite your class, most people don't study this. He was not trying to write a national anthem. He didn't say, boy, one day I'm going to sit down and write a national anthem. And sometimes when it gets, it gets criticized, I think people think that that's what he was doing. He finished this two, song, two days after a battle he watched. He's writing about his experiences during this battle. And he writes four verses. Most people only know of one. And if you read it, then you understand it. He's writing sequentially about his experiences of watching the battle and realizing that the Americans had won the battle. That's what the song means. But he was not, we've all learned that, been taught that he wrote a poem. The tune that we know as the Star Spangled Banner, I'm not going to hum it, but you know the tune, was very well known to Francis Scott Key and many Americans in 1814. It had been written over in England. It had come over here. Lyrics were written, rewritten to it all the time. He himself had written lyrics to that song in 1805, nine years before the Star Spangled Banner. So where this got that, that he wrote a poem, and everybody thinks it was fascinated by that story that he did it, he was definitely writing for that specific tune. That, that's how it happened so quickly. And on the third day, I mean, three days after the battle, it's printed, and it says, to, the, to Anacreon in heaven. That was the original song. So even back then, it wasn't some miracle that somebody knew it. He was writing uh, for those lyrics. But, but the, the, the bigger lesson, I think, is he wasn't trying to rent, write a national anthem. I think if he were alive today, he would be astonished that it became the national anthem, because he was merely writing about his experiences at the battle. Well, we're almost out of time. I do have one last question for you. I'm going to kind of 
peek, pick on you, uh, your brain about your Gettysburg uh, behind the scenes <laughs> tidbits for any of our listeners. I was just down there and I went to the Beyond the Battlefield Museum. It's it's pretty yeah. new. I'm sure you've been there and it's great. You've been there a lot more than me and and Bob. Can what was where's one place that maybe isn't obvious that you like to visit when you go there? See, it's difficult for me because it's all obvious. I've been going there for 30 years, so everything's obvious for me. But I think, um, I, don't, I don't know that people, you need to embrace the entire battlefield. People go up and they have one thing in their minds, you know, Pickett's Charge or something like that. The, the battlefield itself is astonishing. And just to, to take that drive and to get a guide and have them explain it to you, I, I still think that, that they can... Pr- they can personalize the battle for you. And just if you get an understanding of what happened back then, all of the field is just astounding to me. And for those of us who love history, and you guys I'm sure as well, we feel it that we're walking someplace where something great happened, where something transformative for our country happened. And some people don't, don't feel that, and they're the ones who don't, they aren't interested in history. But if you are interested, you feel that. And that's, so wherever I go on that, in that field, on that 6,000-acre field, I feel like I'm walking in the footsteps of uh, men who were giants in our country's history. So the whole field is incredible to me. Tom, the, this interview is incredible. And I'll tell you, I do want to pick up a copy of Our Flag Was Still There, and I hope our listeners will, too. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. All right. We'll be right back with Under Review. Stay with us. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, do not miss Thursday's edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're in full stride as David Ignatius joins us from the Washington Post. From the front lines of the Ukraine-Russia war, Mark Thiessen on why Donald Trump is so hard to catch. Ben Dominich, are the Democrats really going to leave Joe Biden where he is? And Charlie Hurt. It's going to be a big show. Don't miss Thursday's edition of Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian Kilmeade, weekday mornings at 9, 99.7 and 96.7. Connect FM. Since 1982, Exmark has been dedicated to building the world's finest mowers. These mowers provide you with the quality of cut that seems impossible, dependability you measure in lifetimes, and an operator experience like none other. Because Exmark believes if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Visit Dunlop Lawn and Garden in Dubois or Brookville to discover a one-of-a-kind ownership experience and see the difference for yourself. Carlson Auto Repair is a locally family-owned and operated business that serves you, their customer, like you're one of the family. Carlson Auto Repair genuinely cares about the folks who come to see them for mechanical and auto body work. They don't do anything that isn't needed, and they do the repairs at an affordable rate. If you need auto repair inspections or collision work, get it done right and reasonably at Carlson Auto Repair, where they know you and they know your vehicle. 100 East Park Avenue, Dubois. Here we go again. The same old story. You ordered the part online. It's wrong when it arrives. The car is torn apart and then the fun begins. Trying to send it back. In the meantime, your wife is missing her hair appointment. The kids need to, you know the rest of the story. And you think you saved money. At Napa, we'll get it right the first time. Napa know-how is on your side with expert customer service and parts that meet or exceed manufacturer's standards. Napa, better here to serve you, our customers. Napa Auto Parts, Dubois, Brockway, Brookville, and Clymer. What's your call? This is Under Review on Connect FM. You can call Bob, Dave, and Dave 
at 814-372-1420. Join the chat on their Facebook page by searching Under Review Sports. It's time to get lost, Dave. We got a lot of things that I, I actually wrote down a couple of things here today. So uh, I hope Dee's listening to hear these. I'm going to say get lost to rate limits on Twitter, especially oh. on July 1st. I don't know if you ran into that oh, problem. I saw it. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't tweet too much, but yes, I saw that. It's like, this is why I don't tweet too yeah. much. <laughs> get lost to Apple TV. I miss Friday's awesome oh. ending to the pirate game. I love the highlights, but man, that would have been fun to watch in person. And lastly, get lost to the hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July. Uh, what is up with that? Yeah, why do we why do we celebrate that kind of gluttony? I'm, I'm totally with you. I know a lot of our listeners are probably going to be throwing things at us for that one, but I, I never got that and I, I never will. I'm going to have to say uh, hashtag to slot bonuses in, in the MLB draft. I don't understand it. Why, why should that matter? You know, that that's just weird. And... As, as, as great of as a guy as he is, I have to say hashtag get lost um, to Austin Hedges, who if you're batting 180, it's just I don't care how good you are defensively, you probably shouldn't be starting. Yeah, I don't want to hear anything more about pitch framing, so get <laughs> lost to pitch framing too. Hey, Dave, I know you're going to be on the air tomorrow night. Real quick, tell us about the All-Stars. Yeah, uh, they're down at Punxsy tomorrow night. Uh, you and, and I should mention Bob had his you know live radio debut that on, was on the ball field last week, and uh, so Bob's busy tomorrow night, but I'm going to go down there and run a solo show at Dubois versus Punksy at Punksy. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. So on behalf of Dave Glass and myself, we'd like to thank you for listening. If you missed any part of our show today or previous episodes, you can download our podcast every Thursday by visiting connectradio.fm. Don't forget to like our under review page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at under review. We'll see you next week as we continue under review on connect FM.